if you would, go ahead and take out your Bibles and open up your Bibles with me to the book of Genesis, to the book of Genesis. As we continue working our way verse by verse through this book, and we're nearing the end, and in this season we've been looking at the account of Joseph and his brothers, and this morning we come to Genesis 41. Um, When we last left Joseph, he was a prisoner in the king's prison. He's there for a crime he did not commit. Joseph has graciously served two men in that prison, being used by God to give God's word to them. Uh, He interpreted their dreams for them. Uh, Now one of those two men, the chief baker, is dead. And the other one, the cupbearer, is at Pharaoh's side. It's been two years since that event. And Joseph has been forgotten by the cupbearer who is at Pharaoh's side. But Joseph has not been forgotten by God. Uh, He has been suffering through trial after trial. He has endured several years of undeserved suffering. But now, finally... Everything is beginning to change because in this chapter we are going to begin to see what God has been preparing Joseph for all along. Now there are a lot of people involved in this account. There's Pharaoh, there's Pharaoh's wise men, Pharaoh's magicians, there is the cupbearer, there is Joseph, and over all of these characters is God himself. And so I thought maybe the best way for us to work through verses 1 through 36 this morning is for me to draw your attention to each of these characters. And as we do so, I pray that the Lord would serve us by giving us truths, giving us lessons, spiritual help from the lives of these men that can help us in our walk with the Lord. And so that's what we're going to do. So we're going to begin by focusing on Pharaoh. And what I want us to see here at the beginning of the chapter is Pharaoh's distress. Pharaoh's distress. So let's begin reading in verse 1. Genesis 41, beginning in verse 1. Well, after two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold... Seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled. Just stop there. So Pharaoh was likely the most powerful man on planet Earth at this time. 
We've taught before, we're in the middle kingdom of Egypt. We're a good ways into the middle kingdom of Egypt. This is a time when Egypt was uh, likely the supreme empire on the earth, and Pharaoh, as its leader, was probably the most powerful man on earth at this period. He was very wealthy. He was known throughout the world, the world of that time, the ancient world. His life was a life of, of luxury, People worshipped Pharaoh as a god. This man, Pharaoh, had reached the highest place a man could come to in this life at that time. And yet, we find Pharaoh distressed. And so one lesson that I think we learn immediately from this passage is that power, money, fame are no cure for distress. And that is especially true when it comes to spiritual matters and our relationship with the true God. Pharaoh has received here a pair of dreams. He knows that these dreams are a word to him from God. These dreams were vivid. These dreams were strange. Four times we read that word, behold, 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 grabbing our attention, saying, look at this. This is not usual. Now, Pharaoh does not know the true God. He, he does know that these dreams are coming from somewhere. We've taught before how Egyptians believed that dreams were messages from the gods that they worshipped. And so Pharaoh's question now is, what is this God telling me? What is this God saying to me? And we're told that because he could not find the answer, his, his wealth did not help him, his fame did not help him, his power did not help him. He needed answers. He wanted to know, what is this God telling me? We're told that his spirit was troubled. In fact, literally, the Hebrew uses a word that refers to something being beaten upon. His spirit was being beaten upon. So if you can picture Pharaoh's spirit as a small body of water, it's not calm, it's not still. Rather, it's like a kid taking a paddle and just beating the water over and over and over again. That's the way Pharaoh was in his spirit. He was anxious, he was distressed, and, and all that he had as the most powerful man on earth could not bring peace to his soul. He wants to know, what is this God saying to me? Well, friends, let's be clear on this. There is nothing more necessary for true peace in your soul than for you to have a right understanding of what God is saying to you through the pages of the Bible. There is nothing more important than that. God spoke to Pharaoh in a dream. In our day, He speaks to us through His written Word in the Scriptures. Pharaoh could not be at peace until he had gotten to the bottom of what God was saying to him. We ought not to be at peace in our soul until we have gotten to the bottom of what is God saying to us. And it is only through a right understanding of this word, it is only through having this word properly interpreted by us, to us, in our souls, that we find peace as well. And so we've seen Pharaoh's distress. So to whom does Pharaoh turn? to try and figure out what God is saying to him. Well, he turned to his wise men and magicians. Look again at verse 8. Verse 8, and let's see it. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. 
Now we've seen before, the, the Egyptians esteemed very highly those men that they believed could interpret dreams. At best, these dream interpreters were using human techniques to come up with their interpretations. At worst, they may have been involved in the demonic in seeking to bring out these interpretations. But either way, Pharaoh was looking to the best that Egypt had to offer him. There were magicians. These magicians were men who were probably priests of the Egyptian gods. They were skilled in what the book of Exodus calls the secret arts. The secret arts. Some believe that these ancient Egyptian magicians were, were like magicians in our own day who use trickery and illusion uh, to try and make themselves look as if they're doing something supernatural. However, the scriptures do teach us that the worship of pagan gods is in fact the worship of demons, and it is likely that these pagan priests were actually involved in some form of, of dark power. Um, I don't mind telling you that I have enjoyed the Harry Potter series of movies. Uh, I've allowed my son to read those books. That may not be wise for everybody. But we must be very clear about this. In the Bible, there is no such thing as a good magician. In the Bible, there is no such thing as a magician who is a good guy. In a fiction series of books, there can be magicians who are on the side of good, but not in reality, not according to the Scriptures. In the Bible, we're told that those who seek to do the miraculous, those who seek to do the supernatural, through any means other than faith and submission to Christ, are on the side of evil. And so those are the magicians. And then we're told that Pharaoh called his wise men. Now, we are not really certain about who these wise men were. If they're anything like the wise men that we meet in the New Testament, they were likely very intelligent men, men who were very skilled in the sciences, probably especially skilled in astronomy. Uh, in the ancient world, however, the study of the stars was often linked to astrology, to, to looking to the heavens in order to discern the will of the gods. And so we have all the king's men here. He tells the dreams to the best that he has. No one is able to give him an interpretation. Now, we're not told if any of them even tried. You know, we, we don't know if some of them said, Oh, Pharaoh, I, I think I've got it. And then maybe he told the interpretation and Pharaoh said, Eh, that just doesn't seem right. That doesn't sit right with me. Maybe that happened. Maybe, maybe it didn't. The stakes were very high for these men. Because the last thing you want to do is stand before the most powerful man on planet Earth and give him a wrong interpretation. You can lose your head that way. And so there's probably a bit of fear and trembling in these men as they stand before Pharaoh. He says, tell me my dream. You can understand why many of them would say, I don't think I can look to him. Right? They, they don't want to be the one to say the wrong thing. This part of the chapter is actually very significant. Uh, God's man, Joseph is going to be able to give Pharaoh the interpretation he needs. Pharaoh's men, the best he had, could not. Now remember, this story, this book of Genesis, is going to be given by God to the people of Israel just as they are about to enter the promised land. And God is saying something to the nation of Israel through this account as they are about to enter the promised land. He's teaching them where to look for answers when they have troubles and questions. Could it be that any of us are putting our confidence 
and modern fortune tellers or psychics? Are you being tempted to look to the spiritual soothsayers of our own day? Partly, I mean, certainly part of why God ensured that this portion of Joseph's story was included in the Scriptures was to remind the people of Israel that in the Promised Land, they were to look to Him. They were not to look to diviners or magicians to find truth. They were to look to God. In fact, listen to what God told His people in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18. They're getting ready to enter the Promised Land. God says this to the nation of Israel. He says, When you come into the land that the Lord your God has given you, You shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens. There shall be no sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a wizard or a necromancer that is one who communicates with the dead in order to know the future how appropriate we get to this passage right at halloween time right to think about these things god says whoever does these things is an abomination to the lord He says, because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving out the nations before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God for these nations which you are about to dispossess. They listen to fortune tellers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. And so God's word is very clear that his people are to look to him and not to the spiritual soothsayers of our day to find truth. This is not a subject that comes up a lot here at Mount Hermon. And so since it's in our text, I think we need to to be clear on it this morning. Mount Hermon, Christians are to have nothing to do with psychics and with fortune tellers. We are not to be a people of the daily horoscope. We are not to be a people who put our faith in fortune cookie messages or cultural superstitions. In this passage, what Pharaoh needed was a word from God, and that's what we need as well. In Pharaoh's case, God was going to provide a man who could serve as his prophet and give to Pharaoh the right interpretation. In our case, God has given us the Scriptures. He's given us pastors and teachers to help us understand the Scriptures. He's given us minds that can reason and can think logically. We are to go to the Bible, and we are to learn God's truth there. Now, we've seen Pharaoh and his distress. We've seen the failure of the the wise men and the magicians. They've been stumped. And now we see the cupbearer's confession. The cupbearer's confession. Look with me at verse 9. Verse 9. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. And when we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, So it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Now, up to this point, we have been tempted to think ill of this cupbearer. 
How dare he forget Joseph? After the kindness that Joseph showed to him two years ago while he was in prison. Do you remember what Joseph had said to the cupbearer right after he gave him the interpretation of his dream? It's probably on the same page in your Bible. Look at Genesis 40, 14. Genesis 40, verse 14. This is what Joseph had asked of the cupbearer. Genesis 40, 14. Only remember me. That is, this is the only thing I ask of you in return for what I've done. Remember me when it is well with you. Please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. You see, Joseph had asked this man to to remember him and yet he had been forgotten until this day. The cupbearer had failed to repay Joseph's kindness. Now, before we get too judgmental, let's remember how often we are all guilty of this kind of behavior. How often have we been shown kindness by others, and yet we have so quickly forgotten those who helped us? We have so quickly forgotten to say thank you. We have so quickly forgotten to show true gratitude. How often have we failed to treat others with the same generosity or the same sacrifice that they have shown to us? So many of us in this room are where we are in our lives today because of people that God placed in our lives. People who influenced us, people who served us, people who cared for us, people who sacrificed us. Have we been faithful to remember them? Have we been faithful to show them gratitude and honor? Or have we forgotten those who have been of service to us in the past? You see, these verses really ought to encourage us concerning this cupbearer because he not only remembers Joseph now in this moment, but he recognizes that his failure to mention Joseph to Pharaoh in the past has been an offense against Joseph. Joseph could have been freed from prison two years earlier, perhaps, if he had remembered to do what he had said he would do. And yet this man now confesses his wrong. And now that he remembers what he was called to do, he confesses his wrong and he acts on it. He makes right what he was asked to do. So maybe there's been someone in your life who has treated you kindly and you've forgotten to show them the gratitude or the care or the love that that you ought. Remember them today. Confess your offense and like this cupbearer, seek to make it right. And of course, the obvious question for us who, who live every day in the grace of God is this. Are we showing gratitude to our God or are we quick to forget Him in our daily lives? As we walk through each day, are we mindful that we are saved men and women? That we were purchased by the blood of Christ? That He was crucified on our behalf? And Christ has now called us to live a life of gratitude by following Him, trusting Him, speaking of Him to others. Jesus is so kind to us. He sustains us every moment of every day. He is sustaining our souls, sustaining our faith this very moment. Could it be that we are still too prone to forget Him as we live day in and day out? And are we not thankful that He doesn't forget us? but that He remembers us. And so we ought to imitate the cupbearer 
and being honest about our offenses and seeking to make them right. Well, now let's draw our attention to Joseph. So the cupbearer says to Pharaoh, you know what, Pharaoh, two years ago, I meant to tell you this, I forgot it was wrong, but there was a man whom I met in prison who was able to interpret to me a dream that I had. You need to meet this man. And so now we're going to draw our attention to Joseph. Let's begin reading in verse 14. Verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one here who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Church, we all need spiritual heroes. We all need people to look up to. We all need people to imitate. People who who show us how to live godly lives. We would do well to look to Joseph as one of our spiritual heroes. Because picture this. Moments before, Joseph was a slave in a dungeon. Now, here he is, he's shaved, he's cleanly dressed, he's standing before the most powerful man on earth, and Pharaoh says to Joseph, I have heard, Joseph, that you can interpret dreams. How tempting must it have been for Joseph to just swell up in pride and say, yeah, that's true, Pharaoh, that's me. I do interpret dreams. Or or how tempting it might have been to have that that false kind of pride that says, uh, well, you know, it's a gift, right? Patting himself on the back before the most powerful man on earth. Joseph does nothing like that here. In fact, he will take no credit for this gift. He fights back against this temptation to pride with the words, in the Hebrew it's emphatic, it's two words, not me. Joseph says to Pharaoh, it is not me who gives true interpretations. It is God. It is God who does this. Give God the glory. This whole passage is is about teaching Pharaoh and teaching us that there is a God in heaven and ultimately we are to look to Him, not to man, for answers. And so Joseph in his humility found his joy in pointing Pharaoh away from himself to God. Oh, Joseph, what a missed opportunity. Don't you know that if you had taken credit, if you had said the power to interpret dreams was yours, Pharaoh may have made you wealthy and powerful for the rest of your life. Don't you know what you're giving up by revealing that it is really God who is doing this work? And yet Joseph did the right thing. Joseph gave the glory to God, and in the end, it was God who causes Joseph to become wealthy, to become powerful for the rest of his life. Joseph will be exalted, and it will happen as God's blessing upon his integrity, not because Joseph sacrificed his integrity. One of my commentaries has a very famous story about Charles Spurgeon. One Sunday morning, Charles Spurgeon had preached a message that was particularly powerful. He had preached a message that was particularly moving. And as members of the congregation went to speak to to Pastor Spurgeon after the sermon, one man came up to, to Spurgeon and said, Sir, that was the greatest sermon I have ever heard and that you have ever preached. And Spurgeon turned to the man and said, Yes, I know. 
the devil told me that 10 minutes ago. You see, when we are used by God in a powerful way, there is something in us that wants to take the credit. Let us learn that we are to be instruments in His hands. Let us learn that Christ is the vine. We are the branches. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. And so when we, by God's grace, get to be useful to Him, when we, by God's grace, get to do something good for His kingdom, let us be quick to give God the glory. That is where it belongs. Let us find our joy, as Joseph did, in pointing the glory back to God and not upon ourselves. So we've seen Joseph's humility here. Also notice Joseph's honesty. Joseph told Pharaoh that God would give him a favorable interpretation. That's, that's how the ESV translates the word, a favorable interpretation. Uh, more likely, in this context, that word means that God is going to bless Pharaoh with an accurate and complete interpretation. That is, Joseph says to Pharaoh, God is not going to leave you in the dark, but He's going to use me to make clear to you what was before obscure. The interpretation itself, as we're going to see, was not favorable. The, the, the message is bad news. The, the, the message God is giving to Pharaoh through the dreams is bad news. But by receiving this message in advance, Pharaoh has opportunity to prepare. And so let's see Joseph deliver the interpretation. Look at verse 17. Verse 17. Actually, we don't have that much time. Verses 17 through 24, Pharaoh shares his dreams with Joseph. So what we just read a few minutes ago where we read Pharaoh's dreams, he just repeats those almost, almost verbatim, those words to Joseph. Now go to verse 25. And let's pick up in verse 25 and hear what Joseph says. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. The emphasis of this interpretation is not on the seven years of plenty. It's on the seven years of famine, which will be so severe that the seven years of plenty will be utterly forgotten. And so you need to bring to your mind those pictures of starving people, those pictures you've seen of people suffering through famines in Africa. That's the kind of famine that is being foretold here. This was horrible news. This is horrible news for a kingdom that had been doing so well. Nobody wants to be the messenger to bring this kind of message to Pharaoh. And yet, Joseph does not water it down. Joseph does not compromise on the message. He speaks the truth. 
the whole truth, nothing but the truth. And he relates to Pharaoh all that God had given him to relate, despite the fact that sometimes you shoot the messenger. If he had been concerned about his own skin, Joseph might have done something differently. However, God has protected Joseph this far, and Joseph has good reason to be faithful and to trust that God will take care of him now. And this is how it is with us. And so we need to learn from Joseph, from his example, that we are to be a people of honesty, that we are to tell the truth even when it is hard. And then let's see Joseph's boldness. We've seen Joseph's humility. We've seen his honesty. Let's see his boldness. Um, He dares to give counsel to Pharaoh, though Pharaoh has not asked him for it. Joseph does not simply interpret the dreams, give the message from God, and then close his mouth. He keeps talking. And he shares with Pharaoh what he believes would be the best thing for Pharaoh to do in response to the dreams. And so pick up in verse 33, and let's see what what Joseph tells Pharaoh to do in response to the dreams. Verse 33. Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through famine. Now this plan does not appear to have been a command from God. Joseph was no longer giving God's word to Pharaoh. Uh, Rather, we see from, from the next verse, this appears to be Joseph's own proposal about how he thinks he should respond to what God has said. And so while we should learn humility from Joseph, we should also learn from his boldness. Joseph's faith in God has made him strong. He's not intimidated before Pharaoh. He's not shaking and trembling. He's willing to say what he believes needs to be said to this powerful man. It's interesting that one of the great marks of godly leaders throughout the history of the world has been a willingness to to say the truth to those in power even when it was, was hard. Think about not just Joseph before Pharaoh, but later Moses before Pharaoh. Think about Esther before King Ahasuerus. Think about Paul before King Agrippa. And they were all willing to say what needed to be said, no matter what the cost would be to themselves. John Knox is a great example of this. He was once brought before Queen Mary of Scotland. She had charged him with treason because he taught the people that they had the right to resist the government when the government was forcing wickedness Upon them. Uh, Throughout the British Isles, there had been many cases of gospel believing Christians being slaughtered by their own governments because of their faith. And now, with his life on the line, standing before the Queen, John Knox found his courage and he made his case before Queen Mary. He said, If princes exceed their bounds, they may be resisted even by power. For there is no greater honor and obedience to be paid to princes than God has commanded us to give to father and mother. If children, listen to this, this is a great illustration he uses. He says, if children join together against their father 
who is stricken with a frenzy and is seeking to kill his own children. If they apprehend him, take his sword and other weapons from him. If they bind him and put him in a prison until the frenzy passes, do they do any wrong? Will God be offended with them for hindering their father from committing this horrible murder? Well, even so, madam, if princes will murder the children of God, their subjects, their blind zeal is but a mad frenzy. And to take the sword from them, to bind them, to cast them into prison till they be brought to a sober mind is not disobedience, but righteous obedience because it agrees with the word of God. Now, just imagine saying that to the queen to her face. We have the right to take all your power away from you and put you in prison if you continue to kill God's people. We're told that the queen was so amazed at his boldness and his words that his life was spared. Only that was the providence of God. Church, should you and I ever be in a situation where you have the opportunity to speak truth to those who are in power over us, do not let fear of man keep you from doing so. There are very many things that we could say very positively about Billy Graham, about the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, about Operation Christmas Child, but I know many believers were discouraged over the last several weeks when when Governor Romney went to visit with Billy Graham and it was agreed that the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association would no longer list Mormonism as a cult. Mormonism is a cult. It is a cult that preaches a very different God. It is a cult that preaches a very different gospel. And until just a month ago, Billy Graham Evangelistic Association website listed Mormonism as a cult. And it seems to me that those who are now leading that ministry should have been very firm with Governor Romney, speaking the truth to him, not giving in to political pressure to compromise on what they believe. But before we get too judgmental, we need to know what about when we are in their shoes. Boys, girls, teenagers, perhaps one day you will have the opportunity to speak truth to the most powerful people in this world. Maybe one day you will be a president or a congressman or a state or city leader. Do not be paralyzed by fear of man. But stand firm with confidence in your, in your Lord Jesus Christ and speak truth. Say what needs to be said. Speak the truth in love. That's what Joseph does. Now, Mount Hermon, I would suggest that one of the great application of these verses to our lives is that we ought to imitate Joseph in the way we bring God's truth to others. Whether you're seeking to point a family member, a friend, a co-worker to Christ. Maybe you're trying to help somebody understand a biblical principle. Maybe there's a fellow brother or sister in Christ who who you need to, to bring them to a better understanding of God's truth on some matter. These three marks that we have seen in Joseph's life should characterize the way we bring God's word to others. We should do so with humility, knowing that we are feeble sinners just like the rest of mankind. We should do so with honesty, being willing to talk to people frankly and bluntly about what the Word of God says, being clear, not compromising the message. And we should be willing to do this with boldness, not being intimidated. The fear of man has no place in the lives of Christians. 
humility, honesty, boldness. Remember these when you go to take God's truth to someone else. And of course, any time we take God's word to someone, we should be motivated by love. We see love in the life of Joseph, even in those last words of verse 36, where it's clear he's concerned for the people of Egypt. He does not want them to perish. You see, what motivated Joseph to suddenly give this counsel to Pharaoh? It seemed to be his concern for all of these people that were going to die. He does not want them to perish in the famine. That's what compels him to speak forward his ideas to Pharaoh. Let's close this morning by noting the other character in this passage, the chief character, God himself, because it is God who is unfolding his plan in these events. It was God who had promised a Messiah all the way back in Genesis 3.15. And it was God who had declared that the Messiah would come from Abraham's descendants, Genesis 12, Genesis 15. We're told that the family from whom the Messiah will come is now in grave danger. We know he's going to come from Jacob, from that family. And now Jacob and and that family of brothers is in grave danger. There is a famine that God has appointed to come their way. And everything that God has been doing in the life of Joseph to this point, God has been doing to get that family into Egypt where they will have the provisions to save their lives and to continue living so that ultimately His promise of the Messiah would come true. God is getting Israel to Egypt so that He can save Israel from a famine, turn that family into a multitude, take them out of Egypt through a great display of His awesome power and establish them as a nation, the nation from whom the Messiah will come to save all the nations. So friends, everything that occurred in Joseph's life to this point, every moment of his undeserved suffering, that is, when he was suffering for crimes he had not committed, all of that had a very good purpose. It was the salvation of God's people that was at stake in these matters. It was the coming of Jesus and God being true to His Word that were at stake in these matters. And so as we think about the life of Joseph, we should see the sovereignty of God We should see His sweet providence. We should see God's faithfulness to His Word and how He moves a million different people and a million different factors around in order to make sure that His promise comes true. And so I think what God is really saying to us this morning through this passage is this. Trust me. Just trust me. I'm in control. I keep my promises. Trust me. So my question to you is this. Do you trust Him this morning? Are you looking to Him through Christ, resting in His awesome power and love? Are you living by faith in God? Let's pray.